And I'm here with Asad Zaman, who is a partner and managing director of executive search and sales talent at Sales Talent Agency. Asad, really excited to have you here on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Well, I've seen you on Sales Enterprise Forum on the panel. It was amazing. Loved your story. Uh, maybe you could start off by talking about being an immigrant and then coming to Canada. What was it like? What were the first few steps you took? Yeah, it was um, it was a very interesting. Uh, experience when I look back at it. I think when I first came here, there was this like extreme, extreme excitement in me. And I came from Pakistan. I grew up in a, you know, in a very, I had a great life when I look back at it because it had like this balance of um, there was comfort, but there was also discomfort. And it really shapes you. So while I might not have been the best student, I think I had a great education mm -hmm. because I had great people to learn from. I was in an environment that was a third world country going through its developmental phase with a lot of complexities. There was, we were fighting a war against terror at the mm -hmm. time. So there was a lot of violence, you know, because of that, because right. they were retaliating against us in the cities. Mm -hmm. There were bombs going off. There were social, religious, political groups in the city of 22 million people that I lived in. Yeah, it's crazy. So, yeah, it was madness. And so it was a really interesting place to grow up. But for me, I knew I needed to leave it. Like, I wasn't thriving there. I look back and it probably made me me. And mm. I think 100% it's probably the reason I'm good at what I do. Because mm. I understood a lot about people there. But I was not thriving in that environment and I didn't think I would thrive. What it would take to be successful there, I wasn't, I don't think I had it in me. And I was also not so excited about success sometimes being given to you over there just because of who you are and who you're born as. I thought I wouldn't really, it never felt like an achievement when you get something for that reason. Mm. So I knew I had to leave. When I knew I had to leave, the problem was that leaving is very expensive. Right. And my father, he, he, his rule was that you leave to do, go to your MBA. I didn't even know if I would get into MBA, right? Like, I was right. such a bad student. Yeah. I was a horrendous student. So I really, like, I worked on trying to convince him mm -hmm. that send me abroad. Just please, like, like get me out of here. And so one day he, relied, he said that, uh, or he agreed at least, to this uh, deal that I proposed, which was that you pay for my tuition fees and I'll pay for my education, I'll pay for my living. And that's, you know, it's, it's a big ask to even ask somebody to pay for your education 100%. there. It's like 100K as an international student for four years. And it's not like I was going to an Ivy League university either. So yeah. uh, he agreed. He's like, okay, if you think you're cool enough to get by financially yourself, let's see if you can do it. Go, do it. So then uh, the next, next challenge there was now to f get some grades to get into some university. Mm -hmm. I'd identified York University as the one that I wanted to go to. And I did, I, I was in, over there we do the British system. So it's O-levels and A-levels. Right. And so I was in that A-levels phase. Um, I sat for them. I worked really hard. Like I studied at that point. And mm -hmm. I got good enough grades to get out. So when I got here... It was just, I, I applied for my visa, I went through all the different hoops, and I finally got everything sorted, and I got here. 
and it was so much excitement like mm-hmm. it was the mm-hmm. best feeling on earth because it was all new right and sometimes in life it's great to be able to find yourself again i think everybody should be able to do that every now and then and so for me that was one way to do it like in pakistan you grow up very quickly right and over here i felt like i found like my inner child again in a way it <laughs> so was true. it was really interesting but i also became way more mature at the same time it was shocking so initially it was pure excitement and then shit got real mm. because i realized oh i need to make money to survive here and making money is tough and so that's when it like reality hit me and it didn't scare me though like some somehow or the other there was this inner drive in me mm. i think part of it was because i knew that this was a great opportunity i knew that other people had done something like this before and been successful at it um i knew that i had given up a lot like i'd given up my family and my friends and my life back home to come make something of myself over here so failure wasn't mm-hmm. an option mm-hmm. and so as an immigrant i uh, i then just decided to start doing anything and everything whatever my first opportunity was thrown at me was cleaning toilets and i took it i was like i'm in like i've got this now right. like you've given me a job like i'll do this and from there it just kept growing and growing and growing and i think it was probably when i looked back at it it was a path that i knew would be a roller coaster but i was totally fine with the low points because the highs were so much fun right and it's probably the hardest time period of my life for the first few years but i wouldn't change it for the world but there's there's so many interesting things you mentioned it's like starting from scratch <laughs> and uh you know feeling a completely different experience yet still being very much responsible for or you got to figure out how to make money which is you have to figure this out so i don't lose that yeah it's like when you realize that you have to make money and i'd never had a job in my life i'd never even done laundry in my life right like so for me everything was new like um figuring out how to do laundry cleaning my own place um from going from that type of a life where i'd never had to do that i i, I was i didn't come from a very rich family right but we were comfortable mm mm-hmm. to coming here and cleaning toilets for like 6 yeah, dollars an hour was a shift and initially you realize when you're making 6 dollars an hour and you start even making like minimum wage 10 11 you really wonder like how am i going to make enough money to survive um but survival and desperation is a really interesting place to be sometimes like you fight back from corners and you find things about your personality and yourself in those moments and i think i was very lucky to have been equipped well to handle it and i i look back and i have i have to thank the environment that i was born in that while it was so difficult to be in that environment for all of its complexities i had exposure to some of the best people in the world that i have ever met there and they probably helped create that foundation in me that allowed me to deal with this type of shit and it was great no oh, it's amazing and um you talked about the your sales job and i wanted to mm-hmm. to go back to that because that was a great story how you were selling lawn aeration door to door how did you get into this thing and then what was the point you realized oh i love i'm good at sales i love it yeah that was uh that was an interesting uh, <laughs> entry into sales um so as i said first job cleaning toilets right 
Um, second job was uh, making juice. Third job was note taker, and so on and so forth. And none of them paid really well. I was doing security quite a fair bit. Like I'd gotten into security um, not because of any other reason other than the fact that it was a job that was given to me and I was like, great, like, you're hiring me, you're giving me the hours, you're paying me something. And you were still studying at that time? Oh, yeah, yeah full-time. So I was, I was studying full-time and I was working um, and it was terrible. Like, secure, like it was, it was a, I'm thankful I had that job. Right. But it was a hard job mm-hmm. because I was doing it at No Frills so oh, this yeah. company used to handle the security for all the President's Choice uh, stores. And the store I used to do security in was at Jane and Wilson. Mm-hmm. So you had to wear like a bulletproof vest. And oh, wow. Yeah, it was hardcore. And I didn't know much about Canada. So when they said, hey, this is the store that we'll put you in, I was like, yeah, sure. You're paying me money. I'll do anything. <laughs> and then I got there. I was like, this seems dangerous, like for $10 <laughs> an hour. Um, so... Over there, you can't talk to anyone. You're just standing straight for 12 hours. Next to, like, I used to stand either at the, behind the cashiers or inside the store. I remember next to a deep freezer full of meat. And it was, oh, it was just, like, terrible. Jesus, that sounds hard. Yeah, like, I, I caught robbers. Uh, there were multiple times where a lot of people over there would steal a lot, right? Mm-hmm. And so the things they would steal are funny. Like, they would steal chewing gum. Oh, really? Chewing gum was the most stolen item in the store. Wow. Because they would steal it and they would resell it to convenience stores. So the drug addicts of the area would come and do that. So I, once, like, I remember there was uh, somebody running out of the store and one of the ladies was like, he's running with, like, chewing gum. And I ran after him. I tackled him. Um, I, I had handcuffs. I put them on him. There was, like, $800 worth of, like, chewing gum that he was running away with. Called the police, turned out he had an arrest warrant out for the last two years. They'd been looking for him. <laughs> My boss called me and said, never do that again. You know, <laughs> like, that's too dangerous. Um, so that's, that, that was the type of stuff I was yeah. doing initially. And you just don't make enough money doing that. And so I was struggling. Mm-hmm. And then one day I was at Wonderland. A bunch of our friends were here from Montreal. And this large group of like Pakistani uh, friends had gotten together. And there was another guy there that my friends told me was going to be there, and they wanted to introduce us because he had the same deal with his family as I did with mine. Mm -hmm. I think his was even more so, like he had to pay for part of his education as well. And I had like $20, $30 in my bank account, and he pulled out this wad of cash to pay for like pizza or something. Yeah. And there were like hundreds of dollars there. I was like, good grief, like are you selling drugs? What do you do? And he's like, I do this thing called door-to-door sales. Mm. And I do it for a company where we do lawn aeration. And lawn aeration essentially is you take this machine. It's like a, it's like a handheld lawnmower, not the one that you sit on, right. but the one that you push yeah, around. Yeah. It has a motor on it and it has spikes. And the spikes grow in the ground and create holes. And the holes basically let out compressed air. Mm-hmm. that has gathered after a winter of snow pressing the soil down. Got, gotcha. So he said, I do this door-to-door. It's 100% commission, but I'm making four or $500 a day. I was like, well, if you're doing that, like, I've got to at least try this. Yeah. And so I went there, and the first day, like, they don't train you much. They, like, mm-hmm. they tell you how to navigate uh, a neighborhood. They t- tell you how to turn the machine on and turn it around. Then, then they drop you in the neighborhood. <laughs> So the first day was very difficult. The first day, I, I got tons of no's. And I had never worked like this in my life. Like, 
this was hard mm-hmm. you know and it's in the heat and you're sitting there and it's like six hours in and you haven't sold anything and you're like what am i doing this sucks but i remember at the end of that day i went back to the warehouse they pick you up at nine at night take you to the warehouse mm-hmm. and that's where they do payout and there were guys there that had made eight hundred nine hundred dollars thousand dollars and they were so happy I looked at them, I was like, look at the experience they had. Like, they were so happy uh, through the course of this day and they had such a great time and they made all this money. And if they can do it, like, why can't I do this? Like, you know, why have I had such a frustrating day? I'd made a hundred bucks. Absolutely. So day two, we're still in the training phase. They put us in the uh, truck and they take us to a neighborhood and there are only mansions there. I looked at these mansions, I'm like, God, there's a God, like, this is amazing, like, I'm going to make so much money here. And because each of the lawns were one-acre lawns, mm. and all the lawns that they trained us to price were the Mississauga-type homes yeah. that's $50, $60 a piece, right? Mm-hmm. So we didn't even know how to price these. What I didn't know is that the reason that they'd set this up as a training spot was that these houses, because they have such large lawns and mm-hmm. because they're so rich, right. they have contracts. And in contracts, you have this service already included four or five times a year. So right. there's no chance in hell that they don't get me to <laughs> do it myself. Uh, they don't let a kid do it. It's a good test. Yeah. So I didn't know that. So what you don't know, it doesn't matter. Uh, right. I was just excited. So I knocked on the first door. I remember the guy. He used to work at Canadian Tire. He was an executive there. Um, and I was telling him what I'm doing. He's like, how much are you going to charge? And I think I said like 350 360 something like that. Because I went to the back of the lawn and I was like, I don't know how to price this. This is like a football field. Mm-hmm. So I just threw out a number that I thought I would be willing to do it for that much because mm-hmm. this is a lot of like physical effort, right? Oh, yeah. And he said, let me think about it. And I was like, how about 240 or 250 He said, done. I was like, what? <laughs> Shit. This is amazing. It works. So I just kept going from house to house and they kept saying yes to me. And like I called my manager at about 12 noon and I was like, my machine ran out of gas. He's like, what? He's like, what do you, what do you mean? He's like, how many houses have you sold? I was like, six? He's like, no. <laughs> and he like drove, like when he turned the uh, street, like the car was skidding, like he was running to me. And he's like, show me your book. And he's like looking at the things. He's like, if you keep this up, you'll break every record we have. This, you're on track. And I was like, what? <laughs> and so then I just went nuts. That day, I aerated 11 acres. Wow. And each, when you're aerating, you're going up and down without mm-hmm. missing a spot. So that was yeah. a lot of walking. And I broke every record that company had. In addition to doing the 11 acres of aeration, I sold this massive contract as well. Mm-hmm. So when I went back to the warehouse that day, I made $1,100, $1, $1,100, I think. And it's a breakthrough, yeah. It was the best moment of my life till yeah. then. Yeah. And I was like, this, is, this feeling is it. That's when I knew mm-hmm. sales is what I love doing. No, absolutely. That's a, that's a fascinating story. I totally, yeah, it's just crazy after going from $4 and $6 <laughs> to, to, that, to that payoff. Wow. It was crazy. Like, you know, $6 a day, if you work 10 hours, you're making 60 bucks. That day I worked maybe 15, 16 hours, I made $1,100. 
and they paid it they paid out at the end in cash right so i mm-hmm. never held that type of money like it was just it was ridiculous when i had to go home i was so i was like if i get robbed i'm going to like lose my mind uh, but luckily i didn't and it was yeah it was crazy yeah no it's crazy that's pretty much what you can get uh, by being really 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 good at sales now talk to me a little bit about the mindset and what drove you early on you did alluded that alluded to that a little bit when you talked about how you moved there like what what are some of the thoughts did you have and how did you manage them? Uh, because when you were early on in your career and then later on, because I know you mentioned that you've been like working 4 a.m. on a Saturday. Um, not a lot of people do that. And those who do, they think very differently than others. So what is your, like what kind of mindset did you have before and then how did it evolve later in your sales career? I think like from a mindset perspective, one of the defining things, you know, people are defined by many different beliefs and uh, core beliefs, let's say, the foundation mm-hmm. that you, you know, are built on. And one of them for me is I hate losing. So having come to Canada, it was very important for me to make success of this. Mm. But it wasn't clear how I was going to because I wasn't the world's best student when I was young. I was good in university. But I was studying public policy, and that was not necessarily a very high-paying field early on. Mm-hmm. Um, doing all these odd jobs, you know, you're working that hard and making such little money. You don't know how you're going to even break into the fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year level, right? Right. But I did like have this self-belief that mm-hmm. like I need to make this happen. Otherwise, I'm going to hate myself for having left the people that are really important to me and not getting to spend a lot of time with them now in life, it, that sacrifice was my engine. So with that, I was always thinking and trying different things, like just trying to figure it out, mm. that I need to figure this out. I think having had the success in sales, and you know, it wasn't all rosy, like mm-hmm. day two was fantastic, day five, six were rough as well, like I, I didn't sell well in neighborhoods that were like the Richmond Hill, Thornhill, Mississauga neighborhoods, mm-hmm. I, I was only really good early on in that like, uh, in that company, selling yeah. at like really rich neighborhoods, Right. but that you, there are only so many rich neighborhoods and they don't always put you there, so yeah. I learned over time how to become better at different things, I opened a company the next year doing the same thing. And that company evolved a fair bit through the course of that summer. By the end of it, we'd done a renovation of an old heritage building from an accounting firm into like an art gallery and a music studio. So I was entrepreneurial. And mm-hmm. I think that was because I, I grew up with great examples. My grandfather was somebody that's always been a very important person in my life who was just the greatest person I've ever known. Mm-hmm. Um, he... He was part of the Navy. He was one of the top two, three people in the Navy in Pakistan during his time. And he created the first naval university there. Mm. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And it was after partition, we didn't have a training institution for the Navy. Mm. So he created that. And it's like a couple of hundred acres and it's a really top level institute. And they call him the father of Tarsas. Tarsas is the name of that institute. Mm. Mm. And so... I knew that like you could see the value of creation and mm. w- through what he had done and what he got from it and what 
others also thought of him through what he had done even though he wasn't the richest man in the country the respect he got from others for having mm. done something like that was substantial and that really impacted me and so i always was a little bit of a contrarian i was always looking to create things i loved working with people and bringing people together and i didn't want to lose so for me i'd figured out that the best path of being successful is by creating my own businesses mm. in university because what i learned in that first year having created one was more than i'd learned in the previous 3 4 years in university or having done anything else in my life like yeah, those 4 months of owning a business were the mba of life yeah being practical yeah like just the doing the hardest thing on earth right yeah. like it yeah. is the hardest thing on earth to have a business when you've never worked anywhere in your so life true. you've not worked in a big business and know how it works so you're doing all these things and it's hard but you learn so much and it's really fulfilling mm. so from there i opened two other companies and those were more software firms because there were these guys that were engineers at the university and they were coming up with really cool ideas and they knew i could sell and so mm -hmm. they would come to me and offer me um a position within the company as a founder and i was excited i was like let's do it right um so i think this mindset of not wanting to lose mm. always trying to find different creative ways to do something not taking rules to be more than just a way to achieve an outcome and if it's mm. not the best way you try something else yeah um, until it works till it works right like so i would just do, do i i was okay taking this different path mm. um and that really was probably why i was able to get where i got like i'm Absolutely. not the most successful person in the world i didn't create the best businesses in the world but um i've got a really fun path right. and i think the core of it was not wanting to lose no absolutely that that that's very very cool now a lot of people want to do to do something really exciting and outstanding in sales or in other roles but a lot of them just don't really know where to start uh, what would be your advice for people who want to improve on their work or they want to improve on their personal life and get onto that next level but they don't just know how let me ask you a question why do you think they don't know how it's one of those things where people they either overthink or they um don't think it's important enough or they are too scared of being or failing and uh they are just getting into the circle and being paralyzed do you think they want it enough um personally i don't think so right i don't i think that's one of the, those reasons and i think there's so many people who say um and there's this quote where you have to want it really bad enough and you have to want it more than the other person and i personally 100% believe in that because you can always figure this out but maybe for those people who haven't don't have they don't want it quite enough but how would they get to that level to really go after something you can't get to the top unless you want it in anything cuz it takes a lot it takes a lot out of you and you've got to be you've got to be creative and resilient and hard working all these things that go into it it's not possible to do till you really really want it now if you really really want it yeah and my core belief is if you really want it you kind of know what to do like it's it's fairly simple i think no, the number one thing is taking ownership of your journey right 
you are responsible for your life no one else gives a mm-hmm. shit mm-hmm. right if you are sitting there thinking it's your boss's job to like create your path or your parents job to create your path no it's your job you're supposed to figure this out so you take ownership and then you've got to work on it and working on it is it's not easy right because if you're striving for greatness well that means you're trying to do something hard and you're trying to do it really well and along the way you're going to fall down many times and so you've got to be in the mind frame where you know how to get back up each time mm-hmm. and so i think difficulty and struggle and the ability to push through those things is important so resiliency is key um and when you have been able to do that once you know you can and it's almost like a mm-hmm. muscle right yeah. so then what becomes really important is training yourself to always do difficult things challenging things challenge your body challenge your mind um you know if you become really good at your job that doesn't mean there's not further improvement you might be number 1 yeah but that doesn't mean you can't break the levels right like yeah. you could be the back in the day the person that used to be the fastest runner hit a certain score right that person was number 1 mm-hmm. but that person can keep breaking their score right, right. so that's right. how i think about it yeah. so try different things try difficult things if you are having a really good time at one thing pick up jiu jitsu when you first oh, love do, it. yeah when you first do it you'll suck at it yeah. you'll be so humbled and you'll realize oh this is how i get good at it again and so you keep figuring out how to get good at things and keep doing difficult things and getting good at them and that's a really important thing in terms of how to move forward so now you know mm-hmm. you, as a human being you understand what it takes right i think you put your plan together you write it down you start acting on it you know the strategy without actually right. doing something about it is who cares <laughs> yeah, right yeah exactly so you put the strategy together you start doing it you adjust quickly you also should want to become an expert because greatness like the greatest people out there they have a unique perspective mm-hmm. right they're thought leaders right. of different sorts and so to be a thought leader you've got to be an expert so to be an expert you've got to be curious and you can't and i think it's the easiest way to be curious about something is to enjoy what you're doing yeah so true now people sometimes are like well i don't love i'm not passionate about what i'm doing right maybe you just need to frame it slightly differently mm-hmm. I did not know I wanted to do recruitment. To me this is the best thing I do. Like in my life I'm I feel so lucky and blessed that mm-hmm. I found what makes me super excited. Right. But when I would got into it, I had a feeling I would really love it, but I didn't know for sure. But you explore that, right? You take that interest and then you go further. Yeah, and I also knew that I'll get to build something. I'll get to do something difficult and I'll get to be good at it and I'll get opportunity here to do different things within the business and create business lines and change the market and mm-hmm. all of those things were really exciting to me. So for me, I I care about creating and I'm passionate about creating yeah. and as long as that opportunity is there if I get to create something that's really important to me. Right. So right. I think what are people looking to do? if they're looking to be great the easiest way is to be the expert in that space the easiest way to be an expert is to be curious about what you're doing learn about it work hard on it be extremely resilient um and if you keep doing those things you should be able to get there love it 
So you are spending a lot of your time on hiring, and uh, you obviously hiring um, a lot of executives uh, and here in a sales talent agency, but you also spent a lot of time before in sales. What are some of the criteria you look for if, for, if let's say, you're hiring for a sales role? What do you look for in that person to see do they have it or do they don't? What are some of the criteria set or maybe behavior? So we believe as an organization that sales is a career path for some, but should be a skill set that all have. Part of the reason why we run the Great Indian Sales Competition, which is now the largest national student competition in the country, is because we wanted to introduce our students to the idea of sales as a skill set and as a career path. Now, anything you do in life, you've got to know how to be a good communicator, persuasive, um, which are you know, some of the core components of, in sales. Whether you're an engineer, product person, marketing person, operations person, to be at the top, you've got to know how to do that. So important. Right? Yeah. Now, when a company is looking to hire a salesperson and when you're looking to be in sales as a career path, I think there are six things that are really important mm -hmm. that we look for. And this is a methodology that we've developed as an organization. They developed it before I got here, so I can't lay claim to it, but yeah. I've used it very successfully. And it's, uh, as a business, we've used it um, quite well. We've called it DNA PRO. Mm -hmm. We created this a couple of years into our existence because we needed a framework to analyze people. Why? Because as an organization, its alignment is really important for yeah. us, finding the right person for the right company. If you get it wrong, every person we place has an insurance policy on them. Mm. And so if, we, if the company has to activate the insurance policy, our profitability goes down. So just from a pure selfish capitalistic perspective, alignment is key for us. It also means that when we get alignment right, clients are happy, candidates are happy, right? right. And the great thing about being in recruitment is it's a happy feeling mm. when you do well in it because you've gotten a company to hire somebody good, yeah. right? You found them the best person they could hire. The person is happy because it's a step mm -hmm. up. The company is happy because they have a great person that they've hired. So you are happy at the end of the day. So this methodology was really key for us mm -hmm. to be able to do all of these things. DNA PRO. What do we look for here? Right. Talent and experience. So DNA is talent. Mm -hmm. DNA. Drive, nature, and business acumen. Drive is work ethic and resiliency. A lot of time you, times you meet people that talk about their ambitions, right? Mm -hmm. I want to mm -hmm. do this. I want to achieve that. Yeah. So we've realized that in sales, people don't talk about their ambitions. They tell you about things that they, goals they set for themselves, difficult goals. They tell you about the strategy they put together on how they would want to achieve it. They tell you about the challenges they had to navigate each time they fell down and how they got back up. And then they got there in the end. So work ethic and resiliency. Mm -hmm. Think of it like this. If your goal is on the other side of the wall, you'll jump over, run through, or dig under that wall to get there. If you have drive, then you also must have the right nature. Right. So nature is emotional intelligence and the ability to empathize. Mm -hmm. So in business-to-business -business sales, you're solving problems. And you're dealing with different people. Complex sales, like as you go higher and higher in terms of complexity, mm -hmm. there are many decision makers involved, right? right. Enterprise sales, you yep. sometimes have eight decision makers from operations, yep. the technical teams, the finance teams, et cetera, et cetera, taking part. And so your ability to understand each of their needs, 
connect with them, build rapport with them, and be able to keep things on track is important, and your nature plays a very important part in that. If you can't empathize, you can't do it. And the last part is acumen. Mm -hmm. Do you have a curious brain that knows how to create perspective out of information? Right? So right. if those yeah. three things are there, yeah. you've got the talent. Now, when you're seven years old or 17 years old or even 25 years old, talent is pretty much the only thing that matters. But once you've had some experience and a company is looking to hire you, they're looking to see what you've done with your talent. At that point, what we look for is performance history in every role they've had, mm -hmm. relevant experience to the position that they've been hired for, which helps a company understand how long of a ramp-up period will this person need. Mm. And then the last part is opportunity management. Right. What has the decision-making criteria been behind every move that you made? Mm -hmm. DNA, PRO. That's how we analyze those right. people. You know, this is uh, pretty cool and really advanced, mm -hmm. and I feel like, yeah, that's, that's a great methodology to follow. Thanks. Now, you... Um, by the way, like, is there, you know, you, you take, a, take into account this methodology and like, what is from your perspective, the difference between somebody who's really good in sales and somebody who is that just next level? Is there something there that is just harder to catch? Expertise. Like to be the best, you've got to be the expert, right? So if we think about these days, this hot topic of being the challenger, yeah. right? So we've all been at the bar. And we've had a friend that is just talking nonsense. Then you've also been at the bar and you've had a friend who's talking the same amount but is captivating. They've got you. They've got your attention. Mm. It's usually because they know what they're talking about. Mm. They're an expert at something mm. and they're talking about that thing. So in sales or in business in general, if you want to get to the absolute, absolute top, you've got to be the thought leader. To be the thought leader, you've got to be an expert. To be an expert, you've got to be curious. And so if you were to look for, at, like, summarize what it takes, those, that's what it takes. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Now, uh, when I heard you talk at Sales Enterprise Forum, you talked about you know, finding the right balance between outworking everybody, which you were doing a lot in your early career, and then leaning heavier on your experience and being more effective. Uh, and you obviously had a story around that, why that happened. How do you find that right balance between um, outworking everybody and then leaning more towards your experience and being more effective? Uh, and how does that progress from uh, when you're early in your career to later? I know it's a complex question. Yeah, it's, uh, this is how I think about it. Early on in your career. And this is like one of those points because when I say I used to work till 4 a.m. on a Saturday, I, I liked doing that. Like for me, it wasn't work, right? I... I'm very lucky because w coming to this office and doing this has no, I don't feel like I'm working. Mm -hmm. I'm having the best time of my life. I'm doing something that I love doing with people that I love doing, uh, doing it with for a market that I love doing it for. So I'm, I'm the luckiest person on earth, Absolutely. right? Yeah. But so that's why it wasn't, oh, I'm sitting in the office till four and like I was hating life. I was like excited. I was like, that was the most fun thing for me in that moment. If a friend was like, let's go to the bar and I could go and I could work and learn. Yeah. I wanted to go work and learn. That was right. me. Not yeah. everyone has to feel like that. Right. I think early on in your career, what do you not have? You don't have an expertise because you don't have enough information, repetitions, exposure, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and the job is also a little bit more transactional early on in your career. So... If you join a company mm -hmm. in sales or marketing or anything of that sort, you aren't able to show results immediately. But what can you do? You can show activity. You can mm -hmm. show what you're putting into it. 
And that creates your brand internally. Right. That also means that if you're putting in a lot of energy, mm. you're you're increasing the speed of your development, of your learning. Right. And that that accelerates growth. And so if the goal is to become an expert, early on, just growing a little bit harder and longer can mm. help you get that. Right. But the goal is to develop that expertise and start having to work less mm. in terms of the hours you put in. Right. And having to start doing parts of, uh, having to do things that require difficult decisions. And that's more about, that's what you have to do later on in your career, mm -hmm. right? So for me, it was okay working that way because it didn't feel like work. Right. But also because I knew that there was, this wasn't going to be the rest of my life. I knew that if I did this now, I could accelerate. Right. I could get somewhere faster. And in that position, what would be required of me would be different. It's not easier. It's a lot more pressure when right. you have to make a decision that has a large impact. You know, you're impacting people's lives um, and if you're a leader, you're impacting their earnings through the decisions that you make and your client's success through the mm -hmm. decisions that you mm -hmm. made. So it's a lot of pressure. It's no, by no means easier, mm -hmm. but it's just a different type of thing yeah. to do. And for me, that's a more fun thing mm -hmm. to do. Um, so that's how it, it happened with me. Right. No, that, that, that makes, makes a lot of sense. So you share quite a lot of content on LinkedIn and you like the platform. We just talked about it before going on the podcast as, as I do. Who are some of the people that you look up to or you learn from? Uh, it doesn't really have to be just sales. Yeah, like I, I don't read much about sales, to be very honest. Or at least I don't read m many sales books. Mm. I've read a lot of them in the past, but I've realized that if you want to be good at something, and Mark Cuban talks about this, and I've just been, I've been a big fan of his because when we had one of our startups in university, we didn't know how to raise money. We were not part of an incubator accelerator, didn't have mentors. We were from Pakistan. So we were doing a lot of things, but we were just learning as we went. Mm. And money was an issue, right? We'd put in all of our own money into it to build the platform. And so all of our savings, everything had gone into this. And there came a time where we just needed money. Mm. And so we realized we have to raise funds. And it, w it was a very daunting task to raise money, yeah, to for, ask for the first for time. Money. Right, first time. So I realized one day I was, uh, I, I was just desperate. And so I went crazy and I started uh, looking at people that were investors. And Shark Tank used to be something I used to watch. And so Mark Cuban was somebody that obviously is, yeah. you know, it's hard not to like him. And so I went to every website that he'd ever had. And I found this old blog of his. And I went into the source code of that blog and mm -hmm. I found his email address. Oh, wow. And then I made like, and then I guessed a bunch of different email addresses as well. And I wrote an email about what we were doing and what we needed and why this was something that they should give us attention for. And I didn't get any response for a day or two. And then I remember there was a Dallas Mavericks game going on and the final uh, shot went in and he was in the crowd. Mm -hmm. They won. Yeah. And 15 minutes later, my phone like the light went off yeah. and it was Mark Cuban had replied saying sounds very interesting this is what I need to see from you guys and I was like holy wow. shit amazing yeah it was like the, it was the moment where you I realized as a person that if you have a good idea money is actually very easy to find like people want to invest in good ideas it's mm -hmm. not that's not going to be the problem it's let's have a great idea let's build something special so 
Mark Cuban says this one thing. When he bought the Dallas Mavericks, he said to his team, we are not a basketball team. We are in the business of giving people experiences. What he did was he broke it down to its most fundamental form, right? What is the most fundamental thing we do? So for me, when I, I do that for everything now. And so for me, what we do at Sales Talent Agency is mm-hmm. we provide experiences and we tell stories. And so everything that I'm consuming or anything I'm doing is making me better at that. So I love now thinking like this, right. I'm, I find more comfort in investing time in reading a great story. Cain and Abel, best book, right? I tell mm-hmm. everyone on my team to read it. It helps you tell a better story. There's a book called Shantaram. It's, a, it's about India, but it's an English book. Right. Um, it's about this Australian fugitive who ran away from uh, Australia, went to India, lived in the slums, and it's his life story. And it's a real story. And yeah. it's one of the best stories I've ever read. I'm going to check it out. You must check it. It's one of yeah, the best books absolutely. I've ever read. And we're going to link it in the show notes. Yeah, great. Absolutely. So there's that. I, so I definitely try to read good stories. Then comedy. For me, comedy... Those are the best storytellers in the world, right? Mm. Why? Because a good joke is one where there are no extra words in it. Right. It's just perfectly laid out. Yeah, so and true. in sales, that's really important. Don't over-talk. Don't under-talk. Say, th- say the right thing the right way. Mm. And, so, and they also make you feel weightless when you're in the room, right? Like all the weight of the world is taken away when somebody is doing a comedy set and you're listening and you're just captivated. And that's what sales in a way is. When you're working with your clients, your job is to make them feel like the weight on their shoulders on that one area has been lifted. Mm. They don't need to worry about this. You got this. So I love watching how they do this. I Mm. learn a lot from that. Martial arts is really important to me. Mm. The strategy behind it. What is this? They're going into this ring and beating each other up. Kind of primal, kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. I don't love watching it as much as I love understanding the science, the technique, the strategy behind it and how these guys prepare. Because what they're doing is, it's high-level problem-solving with dire consequences if you so get true. it wrong, yeah. right? Yeah, it's like when they talk about the red zone and the green zone in jiu-jitsu yeah. Yeah. and all this, like, death, like all these moves. Exactly. So if you go into the ring and you solve the problem the wrong way, you get punched yep. in the face, right? So you've got to be a great problem-solver. There's some of the smartest people in the world mm-hmm. are martial artists. It's also really important to understand that martial arts is an art and it's actually about not fighting more so than fighting it's like okay if i have to fight exactly this is how i'll do it but you get trained on all the ways not to have to do that so i learn a lot from that because it's high level problem solving with dire consequences with a very little time frame there joe rogan explains it in that uh, sentence so i have stolen it from him but i've learned a lot from that i think then there are the business leaders and boats Mm. out there so the Drift VP, you and I were talking about him before. Dave, Dave Gerhardt, shout yes. out to Dave. Yeah, like he, he's fucking amazing. Like yeah. I learned so much from the guy. Um, I think there are books like uh, Hard Thing About Hard Things. But oh, I love it. Yeah, Ben Horowitz, Blood Swan is a really good book. Very These good days one. I've been really into Never Split the Difference. Have you heard of it? No, no, I haven't. Oh, yes. So Never Split the Difference is written by... Uh, this FBI negotiator. He was the number one FBI negotiator in the U.S. And mm-hmm. that's a really important yes, life, that's, right? That's, that's a good one. That's an important path. So now he trains companies on negotiation tactics. And I think what he speaks to there is 
is so important to know if you're in sales or client management. So that book has been really, really impactful. Like, I think that book to me has been even more impactful than the challenger sale. Like the challenger mm-hmm. sale, to be honest, has some components that are very, very important to know. Mm-hmm. But the whole book, like a lot of these business books end up being a really good idea and then they need to fill the rest of the pages. Right. right? Just dilute a little bit. Yeah. So they have these stories and case studies and subchapters, etc. But there's this core that you could get across in like 20, 30 pages. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important in mm-hmm. uh, the challenger. Never split the difference page for page I was obsessed with. Um, I have also started using Blinkist a lot. Oh, this is a pretty cool one. I've heard a lot of good reviews on that. Yeah. So Blinkist to me is... My job is to be exposed to as many ideas and frameworks and concepts as possible because I want to be the expert. I am naturally curious. I would love to be, you know, develop into a thought leader. Not there, but I'm on the path. Uh, Or at least I'm working on it. Who knows if I will ever have the right perspective But I really give a shit about trying to figure that but out. But it's also that, you know, when you read, and you you mentioned that on your panel when I've heard you, when you have this learn from different industries that are, in theory, unrelated, it allows you to have this different thoughts that are like from from sales and then one from business and then one from martial arts. And then uh, I've heard it on Drift Podcast, The Secret Wisdom, where I think it was David Cancel who mentioned that those different ideas, they have like a um, like sex almost in your brain. And then mm. those combinations that come out of that, it's like, oh, wow, you are suddenly so much more able to come up with different ways to solve the problem. 100%. Like, I think that's what Blinkist does really well because in, you can read one book in, let's say, a couple of weeks, right? But I believe a lot of these business books, they have this core that is what you get out of it. And so Blinkist gives you 10, 15 minute summaries of those books. And so I listen to one every morning now. And so last year, I might have read 10 books. This year, I've listened to those 15 minute summaries of almost 30 books, right? Yeah. Now all of them, some of them are so good that you're like, this is a thing I need to do a deep dive into. Black Swan was like that. I, li- I listened to it. I was like, shit, I need to do a, do, do a so deep pre- dive. Pre-qualify almost. Exactly. That. It's a qualification process. And so that to me is something that everyone should do. There's, you can't do it for stories, right? You're not learning, listening to stories on a 15 minute uh, a summary. But for business books, I think that's really, really important. Um, I think when it comes to what you were saying about all of these different ideas, right? Yeah. I'm in professional services, mm-hmm. right? So when clients work with me, they know that I have some relevant experience to the type of problem that they're looking to get solved. Mm-hmm. But each problem has some uniqueness to it. Right. And so what they're really getting and what they're hoping they'll get is mm-hmm. a problem solver who knows how to solve problems from a process perspective, who knows how to strategically think of solutions and has a creative mind there. And so the more exposure you have to the world, the more you can kind of reach out to, to gain that, to be able to get creative in how to solve that problem. How I tell my team about this is that if you only read recruitment related articles or books, you'll be the shittiest recruiter in the country or the world, right? But if you read, you know, one recruitment book or an article, then a story, then something on psychology, then something on martial arts and like studied, you know, (laughs) football or something, came back and read another story book and maybe, you know, hard thing about hard things. Now you're becoming the person that you're not supposed to be. Now your knowledge base is wide and broad enough 
to be a great problem solver. Yeah, so true. I mean, I think I've, I've seen, I was, um, I've watched the presentation. It was a Facebook product manager and he talked about, uh, they've obviously got like insane work ethic and everything. They, he, he's almost like, I think he, he was showing his medication he's taken mm-hmm. to be like eking out that extra bit of performance. But the, he was talking about reading books and the way he described it is he does it in series. So he reads 10 books on copywriting or on marketing. Then he reads 10 books on sales and then he has themes and then there he's able to like identify a certain pattern of on one thing of uh, of marketing and then boom he jumps into sales mm-hmm. jumps into somewhere else so he goes and does it in series and he was just describing some of the benefits of the, what he gets from that Vinod Khosa who's uh, obviously a very very major investor one of the founders of Sun Microsystems mm. um, he talks about well his philosophy of investment right is that he wants to invest in things that can have a 10x impact on the area or the space that they're in, whether that's healthcare, transportation, whatever it is. And he likes big, big problems. Like, let's solve something big and let's solve it in a way that it completely changes the way things are right now. Yeah? So he believes that the people that do that don't come from that industry. Mm. So he's more excited if a doctor picks up and says, I have a transportation solution that will change the way the transportation is. He's more excited than if somebody comes and says, I have a 30-year career in transportation and I have an idea. It doesn't excite him as much. Mm -hmm. You said something about this guy that uh, was talking about the medicines that he takes to kind of push himself to the next level. Are you talking about nootropics? I think it was some... I I don't remember what it was. It was some sort of supplements. I forgot what he was. Brain supplements. Hmm? Were they brain Brain supplements? supplements. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's nootropics. And that's something that I've recently become quite interested in because we want to always be in the best state, right? Right. And mind state is an important part of that. Oh, huge. So sometimes we are high on energy, sometimes we're low on energy. Mm-hmm. We do, a lot of people are very caffeine focused. You know, I drink coffee. I used to drink a lot of it. Right. But it's really like, you know, you, you know you're not doing something good when you're having too much coffee. Yeah. Um, now I have less of it. But you still need that like energy and you need your brain to work well. Mm-hmm. And the reason we usually gravitate towards coffee or sugar sometimes is because it gives us a kick. So nootropics are these brain supplements that use a lot of natural stuff like passion flower seed and mm-hmm. like um, lion's mane and all sorts of things. And yeah. there's so many yeah. different brands and they have their own formulas to get your brain to be in the best state possible. Mm-hmm. Think, I, just imagine like a 5% improvement in the processing capability. Like if you use a Windows computer, yeah. they're those tune-up programs, right? Like mm-hmm. you can sometimes press tune-up and it sees broken lanes and uh, shortcuts that right. are, like, and it tunes it up on your computer. Yeah, it's just a bit faster, but it's smooth. Mm-hmm. This is what that is. Yeah, it, it makes a big well. difference, especially over time, right? Yeah, over time. It, it made such a large difference. And then you start realizing that if you want to be great at what you want to do, whatever that is, right? Like, I think, for me, an artist can be anyone doing anything. It's a way of being. It's not yeah. just that I'm a painter, I'm a this, right? Like, I think business people, yeah. there's some business people that are artists and others that are not. Sure. Um, Steve Jobs would have been considered an artist of a businessman. Yeah. So I think in that, a lot of, like, for me at least, there is this... Mm need to understand how to be in the best state. Mm-hmm. And for me, those, that's broken down into three areas. So mental sharpness, emotional stability, and mm-hmm. physical health. And so always 
testing and trying different things to be able to be in the optimal state for each of those three right. areas. And when I'm in that state, I'm at my most creative, mm -hmm. best out output level. Right. Um, so that's been something that I've been really obsessed about. What? How do you look at that? Like, are you... Yeah. Are you trying different things on those three fronts? Yeah, I mean, I usually, the way that I do it, I, I like to follow, um, like I follow what Tony, Tony Robbins does in terms of how uh, morning routines and evening routines. Priming. I, priming, yeah, I love it. Uh, I do it for quite a long time. I also listen to like motiva motivational videos uh, and just, you know, kind of br brings you back to why are you doing what you're doing in the morning um, after the workout and uh, uh, like also visualization I think is super important like I yeah. do that quite a lot because uh, you know it just sort of like brings you back to where like it brings you back to that to that path where you're going you know exactly where you're going why you're doing that uh, and then and then also doing like things like journaling uh, revising your goals like figuring it because it's interesting like I've, I've read I forgot who said it but when you have your major goals you almost always want to review them daily which is sometimes doesn't make sense but why would you review your major goals daily but it's because they can change they are even though they're major goals they can still change and uh, there's a way when you know you, you you list your major goals and then you have them um, the sub goals that will uh, will kind of um, contribute contribute to that and then you you kind of prioritize them on a b c d level and those things shift around and you because you learn so much every day you could figure you could you could make changes you can make tweaks um, and those are those really affect uh, a lot on what you're doing daily you're doing weekly you're doing monthly uh, and you you kind of like shift that or tweak that planning. Uh, so, so I do that quite a lot. Um, There's a guy that said that, uh, I forget who it was. I think it was maybe the CEO of Microsoft. Yeah, I think it was him. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes when you consume all this content, you forget like what's coming from I know. where. Yeah. Uh, but I think what he'd said was that you write your values in stone. You carve them in stone. You write your goals in uh, pen and you write your tactics in pencil. And so that's a really, like, for me, an important way to... Chris, you should know where you're going. What should never change is... Oh, it can evolve, but you should always have a strong foundation of your what makes you you, right? Your yeah, belief absolutely. system, your, your value system. And that's, like, the filter through which you make every decision. Right and keeps you on yeah. track so that you, the decisions you're making exactly. are the right decisions yeah. for yourself because sleeping easy at night is important and that's kind of how you made sure that you're doing things the way that is right to you. Morality is subjective so it's right to you. Sure. Then the goals are important but they can evolve. Yeah. Right? But the tactics, those are the ones that you are always adjusting. Right. And so the pencil, right. you can quickly rub them out right. and change it all out. Yeah. But it's like, it's the mission. I think uh, I follow Jacko Willing. Jacko, if you haven't read his book, Extreme Ownership, really worth Jack it. Jack Welsh? Jacko Willink. Jacko, yeah. Yeah, it's so good. And, and he talks about... He's he, really into jiu-jitsu. He's into jiu-jitsu. And then that's where I picked it up. I was listening he's to so him. intense. He's a super intense guy. I loved it. And uh, he post pictures of his watch and like it's like 4 a.m 3 58 a.m every day on instagram so it's like he keeps every like keep himself keeps himself accountable because he wakes up like at 4 30 yeah. and no less than 4 30 and he talked about you know like goals can change but you have your mission and he like so important to have mm. a certain mission in your life yeah. and then he's like well if i have a certain mission in my life i'm good yeah. and, wh and whatever else changes it changes but i'm i'm going after this thing i think but like people are so 
like people always want to try and find happiness and it's important right like yeah i think of like the greek philosophers and they they used to ask this question what is the good life and i think the good life is one where you are living a life of purpose and in a life of purpose there are ups and downs and the, you're doing something difficult right right so you're going to do you don't have wins and losses you know in sales the best sales person out there closes 50 60% at best of what they are working on mm-hmm. so in a pipeline if you have 20 prospects and you close 10 of them you're really good so you lost 10 times right yeah. but then you hit your quarterly number and that's a great feeling so you lost 10 times you felt shitty mm-hmm. you won 10 times you felt great you hit your number that's an amazing feeling as well so you have this path of ups and downs right and you believe that the sweet isn't as sweet without the sour and then that's where i think you find fulfillment yeah. and happiness to me is not a constant state like i would much rather have the ups and downs to have like the high highs and the low lows rather than live a beige life mm-hmm. um but it, it it's di- interesting how different people do it differently because you've been talking you said a couple of times about waking up early for me that's been a really interesting thing because for the longest time like for many years I had to wake up very very early mm. right like when you're doing security you're there at 6 a.m when you're doing door-to-door sales you're in mm. the field at 8 a.m so you're like up really early right um but then and obviously as an entrepreneur you're just working like you're minimal sleep yeah and our development team used to be in Pakistan so I used to my, I was the product leader as well mm-hmm. so I did sales marketing and product those are the divisions I ran for both of the tech ones and so i would manage the team at night like 3 a.m. 4 a.m. would be my calls and then obviously you work through the day and so it was it was i i tried different things yeah but recently for the last couple of years i would wake up a little bit later than what you would consider like the most successful people yeah. like some of the most successful people yeah. wake up very early some wake up late mm-hmm. for me i i liked working into the night i'm mm-hmm. a night person mm-hmm. i am at my best as the day is progressing and so i wouldn't mind starting the day later on and then just working late into the night and i love that and that's fine i think you know i think like there's definitely that uh, operational window where where people are more effective and that is super super important finding your window yeah finding yeah. your window but it's also what i understood um, relatively recently in the last couple of months how important it is to get enough sleep mm. because and i even did an episode of um, i have a solo podcast that i run uh, in parallel of, uh, with my with my guest podcast is that you know when you don't get enough sleep and everybody needs anywhere from 5 to 8 to 9 hours if you don't if you get less than what you need your cognitive performance drops so much yeah. and you don't quite feel it at that time you it's like that back pain uh that you sort of feel but then it kind of goes away and you feel okay during the day but you can only compare when you um when you are courageous in a way and you let go that expectation that you have when you have an expectation oh i have to wake up at this time and you say you know what i'm just going to not do that mm. and it's really hard sometimes especially when you're very accountable when you're very disciplined you're like no no i'm going to do this but when you take this leap and you take more hours and you f- compare how you feel and how much work you can do that is just such a big indicator and tom bilio he's a uh, he's a former co-founder of uh, quest nutrition in the united states and he runs impact theory he talks a lot about the importance of sleep and why you shouldn't be set in an alarm which works for him but yeah. it's so true like that's such a big part of being feeling well 
to me, attack. sleep has been the hardest thing, right? Like I've, I've had definitely massive sleep-related issues. I have a very tough time falling asleep. Mm. Even if I'm... And that's been something that, you know, messes with your flow. It because does. you can't be mentally sharp you can't be physically uh, healthy or emotionally stable when you don't sleep a lot enough, yeah. right? So it's like when you realize, okay, I'm not sleeping well, you try and like work mm -hmm. on that. And for me, the problem with sleep was falling asleep. Mm. Uh, once I'm asleep, I can sleep. It's actually like waking me up is a tough thing. Yeah. Like yeah. You, horses could be running outside, I'm sleeping. Right. Um, so a lot of that has been about the physical health then. It's about eating right, it's about taking the right type of vitamins and supplements. The most interesting thing recently or the most impactful thing recently has been the sauna. Mm. So there was this study that was done that said that people that sit in the sauna for 20 minutes a day, four mm. days a week, all cause death is reduced by 40%. Meaning okay. your chance of picking up any type of disease or dying mm. of any ailment is reduced by 40% because... What the sauna does is that it's basically taking care of inflammation in your system. Oh, yeah. Most of your problems are inflammation-based. And then stress is released because it's like this 20 minutes of real meditation, right? There's no phone in the sauna. It's going right. to yeah. fry. So yeah. you sit there for 20 minutes. You're in your own head. You slow things down. And it detoxes your system as well. And that just like is such a calming feeling. Mm. And I think in sales or business of any sort, composure is key. Mm. No one likes stressed out, you know, the people that are just always on edge and always exactly. losing their temper or always like too hyper. You like people that are calm and composed, have energy. They're not yeah. like, they're yeah. not falling asleep on you, but they're also not bouncing off the walls. Like, remember the CEO that, the mm -hmm. Microsoft CEO before? Oh yeah, I love it. Uh, yeah, so this is Steve Ballmer. Steve Ballmer. He was a lunatic, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> a funny I, guy. And poor guy, like, you know, he did some really great things for Microsoft when he was number two. Yeah. But as number one, like, he really fucked shit up. And he was the type of guy that I think would be the, I could not work for a guy like that. Like, if, with that energy, like, his energy was not channeled, I thought. It was crazy. And I think he was, uh, it, and you could see that, I think it was Windows 1995 when, when they released screaming. it. Yeah, when he was screaming. Oh. No, actually, this was before, but he, you could see, like, Bill Gates dancing on stage. And you could see oh, how. Oh, that one, that's such an awkward video. <laughs> when they're just acting like idiots. Like, it's so weird what they were doing. But his video of the one, I think, like, that one was a really interesting one. And then the one in which he came and he started screaming. Blue shirt, like developers, Sweat. developers, developers. Yeah, and he was sweating. Yeah, that was the one. And he was streaming, and his voice was cracking. Yeah. And then you had on the other side, you had Steve Jobs. Yeah. That was also pretty crazy, right? Really crazy. Way more, really? way crazier than other people way, think. Way crazier. But when he was presenting, he would. There were moments. Remember when, like, everybody was using the Wi-Fi yeah. at one of the product launches. It was June 2010. And he's like, "I'm gonna stop till all of you stop this." Oh, so good of how he controlled it. He's like, "Oh, you know what? Our guys were running like crazy backstage, yeah. and he's it's like five. There's like 512 uh, Wi-Fi's here in this room, and then could you just turn it off? Yeah. Everybody started laughing, and then he waves, and then he is like." I've got time. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that was this calmness in him. Like, when he presented, he was calm. Internally, he was a madman. Like, again, I wouldn't have loved to work for him. But they did have a good philosophy at Apple, which was hire great people and let them tell you what to do. And I think that's probably the best way to build a business yeah. um, is to do that. Another guy that I think you would really, really like mm -hmm. 
is Sequoia Capital's managing partner, Doug Leon. Yeah, I, I might have heard of him, but I don't think I have studied much. Amazing, absolutely amazing, man. Like, there were two of them, right? So, mm-hmm. so Don Valentine, who is the founder of Sequoia, and Sequoia to me is the number one venture capital yeah, yeah. firm in the history of yeah. venture capital, absolutely. right? Like, yeah. he shaped multiple industries, mm-hmm. and he was a contrarian. And so when he hired his successors, he hired Michael Moritz, I think is how you say his name, mm-hmm. who uh, was a writer for The Economist or, the, or Time at that time. And everybody's like, why are you getting a journalist to be a venture capitalist? But he's like, I like the way he asks questions. Mm-hmm. And Doug Leon was a sales leader. Obviously, I kind of liked that path. Right, of uh, course. Yeah, he was at Sun Microsystems and like he was, he'd had that path. Immigrant mentality, which to me is... It's an advantage, sorry, but I think it yeah. is. Oh, it's, it's, for me, if you were to ask me, summarize like what, what it is that it takes, you know, is different in you than a lot. I have that immigrant mentality. The immigrant mentality yeah. is in Canada, in Toronto is all over the place. And it's, it's interesting to see. When I go to Vancouver and some other places, I don't see it as often. Mm. And the difference is over here, there's been a lot of people who've either had their parents or themselves have left a life that in the, for that person was not so uncomfortable, right? And they've come here to build a life for the next generation. Right. Or somebody has done it for themselves. And when you've done that, you sacrificed. And so a lot. if you've done it yourself, yeah. you have to make it work. And if you've done it for your kids, then those kids, when they're working, they want to pay their parents back. They want to make sure their parents get to have that nice feeling one day of whatever you guys did for me, is be, it worked. Look at me now. We have a lot of that at SDA. And it's also, you know, like uh, one of those things where, you know, when you're, when you're working and you're pushing and like back to resilience question, uh, one of the th- questions comes up, why would you do that? Why would you wake up early? What would you sacrifice? What would you push through pain? Which will come absolutely and more probably than 50% of the time. And one of the reasons is because you're not doing it just for yourself. You're doing it for other people and people tend to do more for others than they would just do it for themselves. Yeah, like you, I think it's like you need a reason. You need a reason to do something. And you've got to know what that is. Why? Why are you doing this? Why, why are you doing something difficult, right? Like, why have you decided to um, leave a country and do something or build something or take a career path that's very different or, like, it's difficult? There has to be a why. And, like, there's that the famous Ted talk about the why. Yeah. Simon's, Simon Sinek. Yeah. And so I think that's an important reason. Jamie Starbro is the, one of the founders of SDA, Jamie and Sonia. Mm. Two of the most uh, interesting uh, individuals I've ever met, and to me, probably the most impactful in my life as, as business mentors, but also just life mentors. And they, whenever we start a meeting, I remember when I first joined SDA, it was really interesting because every time a meeting started, mm-hmm. he would ask, why is this meeting happening? That's usually the sign when a person is re- extremely on point with their time management yeah. and um, everything else. He's, he's really special. Um, so when he would ask that question, you knew, you always reminded yourself as to what the reason is, right? And now when you know the why, everything you're figuring out can stay on track. Because one thing that happens in companies, and especially with meetings, is you lose track and you like get distracted. Waste of time all the time, right? A lot of times, like sometimes there are too many people on e- uh, in a meeting. Sometimes meetings are going too long. 
Um, and so a really good way to keep people on track is to always remind them of why you're doing something. And if you, if you create that habit early on, because I think a lot of the times he would know why, mm. but he knew we were all young and new in our careers and he's built a company of young professionals, millennials, right. mainly millennials, yeah. mostly women. Like when I first joined STA, there was not one male in the office mm. for the first two months of when I joined. Um, and this company of millennials means that you've got to not just be a manager, but you've got to be a leader. Right. And a leader to me is somebody that can inspire, yeah. that can manage, that can teach, and that can coach. And each, and each person, depending on the stage of your development, needs something different. And that's something where I think he knew that if I keep saying this at the start of every meeting, it's going to set the right habit in these people's minds right. of always thinking like that. Um, and it's kept things very efficient at SDA. Like, I, I'm quite, I'm always pleased and kind of inspired when I go into meetings because they're always on point. They're always mm -hmm. efficient. They're always mm -hmm. effective. Um, and I know how hard that is and how yeah. how rare that is in other places. So, it's so true. And I mean, it, it's, uh, it, I've seen meetings that go in a completely different way. And uh, one of the ways that Steve Jobs used to do it and how David Cancel does it at Drift right now, they have a directly responsible individual for a certain meeting who makes yeah. sure that there's an agenda and then the things that are being agreed on they they get and followed up on and also just being like punctual whenever there's a certain time and meeting starts and then when somebody's not there uh, whoever's in the in the room they automatically assume that person is not coming so they start yeah. they don't wait for anybody yeah 100%. Like, I think respect for each other's time. Like, um, a friend of mine used to work at a company, and one of the top executives of that company was on a le in a leadership meeting, executive meeting. And we're talking about, like, a multi-billion dollar organization. The CEO, the president, etc., COO are all in that meeting. And it could have gone on a bit longer. They were still working. I remember the person told me the story, and she was like, that woman, right at the hour mark, said, okay... I have uh, a call with one of the interns who had asked her for some time for a mentorship call, like wow. just to ask questions. She's like, I have a call, so I need to go. I'm talking to this person. And it was like, it was so inspiring to hear because it's like she valued everyone's time. She valued the leader's times. She's like, you took an hour, you asked for an hour, you draw an hour, we've drawn as far as we can get in this time. I'm not going to cancel on the other person for this. And I really liked that. It's incredible. Like, I really, really liked yeah. that mindset. It, it, it's so good. And I've heard the quote, uh, I, I forgot who was saying it, but it was just like, there's, uh, there was a stat, like 2% or 3% of people in the United States are punctual and everybody else is not. And then when you are not early, if you're not coming early to your meeting, you're late. Yeah, but then, you know, it's interesting because if you're too early, then you're yeah. also a bit of a... So we had, uh, we've had situations where somebody has gone to an interview like half an hour early hmm. and that's hurt them a lot. And it's really interesting because you should know exactly what the right like, time, timing is. Get there five minutes, ten minutes early, right? Yeah. Um, but if you get there too early, that's r terrible. And if you get there too late, if you get there late even by a minute, it's that's done. Nuts. It's done. Yeah. And it's like, uh, it's so true. But they also can, you know, they can do whatever. They can hang out somewhere outside. But, yeah. but they have to understand and read that, understand that social cues and understand the, what is the right way to do it. Because they're, and especially in your case where you are hiring executives. Yeah, like we care about emotional intelligence a lot. And we care about business acumen a lot. So if a person doesn't have the emotional intelligence required 
to know how to do these things, then then you question their level. One of the things of executive search is that you're dealing with professionals that have a lot of experience, right? Mm-hmm. You're dealing with people that have been doing this, doing something for a long period of time. So they have lots of information. All of them have lots of information. Right. They've gained it. Yeah. But do they have a perspective based on that information? Mm-hmm. Do they have the emotional intelligence required to deal with different people? So we now test for that. We always have ways to test for it. There will be a, a, a step along the way where you're going to have to interact with somebody more junior than you in the interview process. Mm. A lot of the clients also asked the office manager at the front desk how that person treated them. Mm. They also will take a person out for a dinner and have a glass of wine with them and see how that person acts there and how is the person with the waiter and how is the person after a drink in them. And these are the different cues you see right. to understand if this is somebody we want to work with and why are you doing that? Because mm-hmm. you see all these resumes and on paper so many people can do the job, but there are very few that are the right person to do it with. Right. And that's because company culture is important. Company culture is important because you're trying to create an environment where you are continuously pushing the boundaries Mm -hmm. of what you're doing, right? right? If we are an early stage company, if you're a series A company, you're innovating. Mm -hmm. Well, you need to continue innovating. So you need to have an environment where people are coming up with great ideas, are collaborating, crowdsourcing ideas, and even if the most junior person has a great idea, they know that logic wins every discussion and there's a framework through which they can put that idea out there. That's company culture. So if right. you get the right person, that right person treats the top person and the bottom person without any any exactly. situation where yeah. the lower person felt smaller. Yeah, it's it's like Ben Horowitz in Hard Things on Hard Things. They talk. He brings up a really important point is that the value... Uh, in a lot of ways, for in the company is not in executives; it's in the people, yeah. the people who actually do the work. And executives have to be able to be extremely good with leadership and dealing with those people, because those are the people you have to keep and reward and make sure they are there. And le- leaders, if they are not great, you have to let them go as fast as possible. Of course, and in an environment where, like in Toronto, there's such high demand and low supply of talent. Because what's happened here, every year we have record amount of investment in early stage and late stage, uh, growth stage companies, sorry. Every year for five years, the records have been broken, right? Mm. So if that's the case, then what does that mean? That means that the demand continues to increase at a pretty substantial rate. How do you increase the supply of talent at the same type of rate? You really can't Mm -hmm. because you can try and create environments and systems through which people are coming from different countries, but that's still an incremental increase in supply. Mm. You can't really do much. So once you've got a good person, you need to know people like me are reaching out to that person 24-7, right? Yeah. So if they're reaching out to that person Mm 24-7, how do you keep people? Well, you keep people because they're connected to your purpose. They're excited to collaborate with you. If they feel that they're not valued, if you don't have empathy for their life, you don't have value for their opinion, you don't have uh, care for their growth and their development, if you are just caring about yourself and your business and you're not realizing that 
innovation is not a company it's the people in the company it's 100% right 100%. Like people are innovative there's no company out yeah. there that's innovative yeah. if you take the people out of it right even it's censure take all the people out of its censure what do you have nothing it's it's one of those things where it was 1997 i think or 1996 when steve jobs came back to apple one of his decisions was to reverse split the stock or do something to make sure that the best employees are not leaving the company and they were at that time because he said look i'm not going to even do anything here if we are if the board's not going to approve this then i'm not a, i'm not, I won't be even an interim ceo i'm not coming because yeah. the, the, we are losing people, we have to keep the people, we have to pay them as high salary as possible as a starting point. So the most interesting problem for me in the world is people, right? Like that, talent. Talent is the most important thing. No matter what happens, everything is dependent on the quality of talent that an, an economy mm -hmm. can produce, yeah. that an ecosystem can develop, that a company can attract and a company can retain. That's the most interesting issue out there. Absolutely. So f that is where when you see companies do it right, it's so inspiring. Mm -hmm. But then you also know how difficult it is because what is right today is not right tomorrow. Yeah. Right? So before, you were able to attract people to your organization by offering them equity. Right. And it was an attraction tool before. You could even go as far as saying, take a step back in your base salary, take a little bit of a step back in your total income, equity is your upside. Today, that is not an effective way to build a great team. Mm -hmm. Because top talent is getting equity offers from everyone. Every, yeah. every company out there is early in growth stage, they're offering equity. So equity has moved from being attraction to retention as a tool. Right. And compensation, you've got to now pay them to get them on board. You've got right. to create steps up for them. So then what ends up happening is that in a market, you have to adjust quickly. You have to be confident in what you're doing. Mm. And if you are looking to build the best company out there, you're attracting the best people out there, the biggest mistake is to look at average compensation ranges oh, yeah. and try to attract the best people in the market with that. Yeah. You've budgeted for the average and you want to hire an A player. That's kind of stupid. Yeah, it's so true. Like you got to go for the A players and because that's going to make the biggest difference. And a lot of CEOs, they are like, they, they make wrong assumption many times. They go for a lower, lower pay and they are not getting the very best people and like they're not going to grow that fast. Ben Horowitz or his partner, I, I forget who said it, mm. But when they asked, when they looked at the value or, or like the um, attraction in terms of a potential investment of a particular company that is asking them for money, they look at it and they say, why would the best engineer from Facebook and Google leave that job to come work for you? Do you have something that would entice that person? Mm -hmm. You don't, then you don't have a great idea. Mm -hmm. Then it's not good enough to build out. It's not good enough for our money right now. You've got to have an idea that is really that compelling. Right. And you've got to make good progress on it. So the number one thing to do, I think, is be purpose-driven in your messaging Absolutely. as an employer brand. Then be perk-driven, which is what was happening for a very long time and still happens with a lot of companies here. If you go on their career pages, they're talking about food and yoga and uh, gym passes, and pool, table, pool tables, table tennis teams, slides. And it's like, what the hell is all this nonsense? Like, when did, an, when did an A player leave a good role because you gave them free snacks? 
Like, what the hell is that? Like, why why would anyone give a shit about your table tennis table? Exactly. Like, the best person, do you know how much money they're making? Do you know how much money the best salesperson and, say, and engineer make? Yeah. Lot. And they don't have a lot of patience for stupid as a, executives who work, who they have to work under. They're not spending a lot of time playing table tennis. Yeah. They're working when they're at work. But in addition to that, they'll buy 10 table tennis tables. They got, like... They don't need that right now. What they're looking for is this a purpose I can connect with? Are you guys doing something that is important yeah. enough? Yeah. So Shopify, you know, you see the office right on the side. Right. Uh, what they do really well is that they have a career page that has flipped the script. So instead of you applying to them, they apply to you on their career page. Mm -hmm. Lead has done a really good job of uh, making their career page being about the purpose of what they're doing. Mm. And then the perks are nice to have. Yeah. They're there to make it a little bit more fun to be there, mm -hmm. to make the shitty day a little bit less worse, right? Yeah, it sucked, okay, take a minute, play a table tennis game, fine. That's what a perk is for. It's never there to attract a person. Asad, it was a pleasure. I'm, my last question is, because uh, we have to wrap it up. Uh, where's everybody can find you online? Um, LinkedIn would be the place. Like, I'm social media is interesting to me because I was never very like Facebook. I've not been active in a very long time. Um, I used to sell cameras at Future Shop. Right. When I joined them, I'd never sold a camera in my life. Um, and the guy, the GM asked me, he's like, what do you know from a technology perspective? I was like, phones and computers. He's like, okay, you're going to sell cameras. I was like, you lunatic, like, why the hell am I going to do that? I don't even know how to turn a camera on. But I fell in love with it because all the camera salespeople were photographers. And it was so interesting to see these artists be salespeople. And then looking at their art, like I was pretty inspired. And so I got into photography where I'm nowhere as a professional photographer and I have yeah. no type of like aggressive Instagram page for it. But I do like, I love pictures, but that's the, like I keep it kind of for myself yeah. on Instagram. Yeah. The only social networks that I uh, use to put myself out there are Twitter and LinkedIn, mainly LinkedIn. Perfect. And we'll, we'll link it in show notes. But uh, Sad, it was an absolute pleasure. I think it was a really cool chat. And thank you so much for joining. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. And, and guys, if you like the episode, uh, this is leave the six-star review. And I will have even a post or I'll create a video how to go on iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave a six-star review. This is a six-star review only show. And I will see you in the next episode. Thanks, guys. Thank you.